Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is Phyllis Klein. Phyllis, are you with me? Yes, I am. Great. I'm so glad that you're with me tonight. We're going to have a lot Thank of fun. You. And my very first question to you is, what is poetry? You know, Michael, I thought you might start with something uh, a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I had a chance to think about this question because uh, um, it, it was I, I just kind of felt like a deer in the headlights when I first tried to answer it. So here's what I did. Um, I wrote a poem about it. Oh, wow. I'm going to read that to you. (laughs) All right. And the poem, yeah, the poem is called On the Question of What is Poetry? Is it the interaction between the mind, the world, its images, colors, shapes, sounds? Mind interacting with breath and spirit? The conscious and unconscious on a boat with their ancestors. The mind on a suspension bridge connecting with emotions, nothing censored. What it feels like to create a sand castle with words. The question that has a line break, a stanza, an assonance. The question, the quest. That's it. Wow, very nice, very nice, very nice. Tell me about generating that poem. Um, I didn't really, I did not think about it at all. Well, I looked at the question and I opened my mouth to say something and nothing came out. (laughs) 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 Because I just could not figure out what is poetry. Mm. So then the only, the only thing that came to me was to, to write uh, write it from a poetic standpoint of view, um, and use images and and uh, um, similes and metaphors to try to figure it out. All right. Well, now that we know what it is, from a very creative <laughs> Maybe. perspective, okay. <laughs> because it is subjective. It is subjective. Why mm-hmm. is it important? Why is it important? Oh, well, so that's also, there's, there's probably a really short answer to that. And mm-hmm. uh, I wish I could give that to you. I, I kind of have a longer answer. Okay. Um, which is that um, uh, it's, it's really powerful. Um, and, um, and it can, it can change the way that I th- Okay. So it might feel like, oh, it's hardly anything or what does it matter? Or what does it mean? And you can look at it that way, um, but um, but if you if you read poetry much and if you write it, um, then it, you start to come into this sense of power about it. Um, it's like a, a fire; it starts a fire, or it can, 
And it, it can actually change the way you see yourself or the way you see the world. And, and if you think about a poem that's been a really special poem to you, then maybe you can understand what that's like. So, you know, I don't know if you have a poem like that that you've that that changed you when you read it, or it, it opened yes. you up in a certain way. Yes. And um, so that experience. I mean, a lot of people find that with uh, Mary Oliver, or Rumi, or Pablo Neruda. We all wish that we could write like that, yeah. Um, but it, it just blows you into a different world. It, it could be um, awe. It could be dread. It could be sorrow or joy. Um, so those are some thoughts about it. All right. You know, as you think about your own work, what are some of the predominant themes? Um, well, so um, I try to be pretty wide-ranging in my work, Michael, Um and and uh, it's really interesting how the unconscious works because I I believe that that's really happening when you write poetry, and so it seems that uh, as I go along, the more that I write, it seems to be that there are two themes that come up for me. Uh, one is the news, and the other is trauma. So now it's no surprise to me that I write about trauma. Because my day job is as a psychotherapist. Yes. And uh, and as many people know, sometimes uh, people who become psychotherapists also are trying to cope with their own trauma. Yes, correct. Um, so, yeah. And I, I believe that everyone experiences trauma throughout life. It's You cannot mm-hmm. avoid it. Um, and so... Um, so... Uh, as far as the news stories, um, I find that when I read the news, it's so interesting to me and that the ideas and connections are rather endless. So um, it gives me just a constant stream of things that I, that I really find so interesting uh, that I can continue to write about. <laughs> All um, right. And then, yeah. Okay. No, please conti- continue, continue. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So, um, uh, so let's see. Um, as far as the trauma poems go, um, some of them are public and a lot of them are private. And I think that's really important for people uh, to understand that, that if you write something that's very personal, you're really writing it for yourself, I think, first and foremost. And the healing comes from what you're doing right with yourself on the page. And then from there, the sharing of it, if it helps you to heal further, um, or perhaps it might even help somebody else heal, you don't know. So that, that would be the hope. If it does, then, then you've really accomplished a lot, I feel. Um, you know, you, you feel it share so much information in such a clear fashion do you teach it as well? Do you teach poetry as well? Well, I'm a, I'm a poetry therapist, so I've learned how to use poems to help people write and help people connect to their uh, emotions and share those with other people. So thank you for saying that. Um, I, I hope, yeah, excuse me, I try to be clear and, and uh, as much as I can. Um, All right. 
a beautiful. Well, please share one of your works. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, oh, where to begin? Um, <clears throat> well, let me say, I, I'd like to read some things from my new book, which is called The Full Moon Herald. And um, Herald has a double meaning. So Herald is a, is a, um, a messenger from uh, with maybe with a bugle <laughs> who's, uh, right. who's giving us uh, some news. And then there's also the Herald of a newspaper, which is um, like the Herald Tribune. So my book has those two meanings. And uh, it is actually a, a newspaper in poetic form. And so the chapters of the book are divided into uh, news uh, sections, as you would find in a newspaper. And I'll read you the very first poem in the book, which is from the international news section, uh, which is the first uh, section you'd usually find in a newspaper as well. So this is um, called, It Should Be Me Who Is Looking After You. And it's, um, it's about letters from the dead in mm-hmm. Taiwan. <clears throat> Only the night before execution are they given a pen and paper to say what will be unseen for decades. He takes the pen, writes the message to his unborn child. Before long, I will leave this earth. His wife feels their child inside her. All she knows is his disappearance, the emptiness. Alas, to be unable to see you, to hug you, to kiss you once. The child arrives. Her father is part of a flock of magpies. I am heartbroken, he says. My regret is unending. All she knows is her father is not there. All she knows is nothing. For 60 years, she knows not a thing until the letter arrives. Another takes his pen, writes a message to his son. On this earth, you will never see your father again. His father is a tawny owl on a blue oak branch. This is the saddest thing, he tells him. The son is lonely. You must not forget your father. This man writes to his mother, your son believes that people who die have a spirit. She feels him near her like a robin flying through an open window. Your son is determined to come to your side every day to keep in touch. She feels the draft of wings on her face. To see your peaceful eyes, to make sure you eat three meals a day. So many days, so many years later, the letters arrive. The words fly off the paper to settle on teardrops, tiny lanterns drifting. Silver. Wow. It's beautiful. Thank what, you. 
what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Uh, well, I think um, I think uh, um, the first time I discovered a Rumi poem that probably is what did it for me. Um, and I wish I had one to pull up um, mm-hmm. to read to you. Um, uh, I know um, there's one that's that ends with uh, there are so many ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Um, there's something about Rumi that just brings uh, brings out um, this feeling of um, that somebody understands you, somebody gets you in mm-hmm. this super deep way um, that that is just so uh, it, it just connects on every level, physical, right. emotional. Spiritual, personal. Well, you know, all great writers, and I'm including you in that list, have <laughs> great writing. You have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? We talked about Rumi. Who are some of mm-hmm. yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? So um, I thought a lot about that, and um, I think uh, what I want to start off with saying is that. Um, I really, I've been trying to uh, get to know more of the local authors who live nearby um, and people who are reading. Now we're doing a lot of Zoom readings and there's so much activity. People, more people are coming to readings because you don't have to go anywhere. You can just yes. access right in your living room. And so just recently, just yesterday, I went to a reading where a poet by the name of Michael Ward and that's spelled W-A-R-R. And I believe he lives in San Francisco. He read up from his book that has to do with poetry of protest. Um, and it was absolutely breathtaking. Uh, another poet I heard was um, Hugh Ben Steinberg, who read at another reading. And he, it was just, just absolutely wonderful. Um, I have friends who are amazing poets, Lisa Rosenberg, um, uh, David Cummings, Christine Cummings, um, and then um, a Poets Laureate uh, in California, Molly Fisk. Um, I have my teachers, Rosemary Watola Trauma, uh, my mentors, Paul Ferricano, Jack Riddle, um, Perry Longo, who was my poetry therapy mentor and also helped me with poetry. So, and then I could go on from there to people that uh, that we've all heard of, yeah. So, but I I kind of really like uh, recognizing people that there's so many that that we don't yes. know about, and, and they're all it's just amazing. Well, let me ask you, as you think about the yeah. formation of a poem, and you've had the training, how does a poem begin for you, with an idea, a form, or an image? You know, it's really all of those. Um, so, um, uh, um, <clears throat> I think form would not be my starting place. I'm not, uh, I, I'd like to do more with form. Uh, so that's on my, it's on my uh 
bucket list. Yes. <laughs> but um, uh, my true confession that I will tell you, and I guess I'm telling more people than just you, is I love the computer wallpaper images. I have a I have a, a an app that has limitless numbers of images. They're, they're really beautiful. And I find pictures that I like and I put them on my computer screen and then those uh, will seep into a poem or maybe more than one. So uh, that happened once with uh, some sand dunes. I found a picture of sand dunes and then I wrote a poem about death as it could be a trip into a snowdrift. And then another time I found a series of fantasy images that made their way into a poem that was honoring somebody who had died. Um, So, yeah. No, I was just, I'm just, I'm just amazed. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. site called Pixabay, P-I-X-A-B-A-Y.com. It also has, has, has pictures to use. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so and that's how I that so that's a little secret um that I use. And then sometimes I come with an idea. So um mm-hmm. you know, like I, I say, Oh, today I really want to write about that news story that I heard. So um I might try to enter it through a poem that I really love. Um you know, I, I have spent an awful lot of time with Jack Gilbert doing that, Jack Gilbert poems. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, I have a lot of poetry books, so I'll just pick one and then I'll read something. And sometimes that helps me enter into it, it um, what I'm thinking about writing. Uh, and then sometimes I'll do research also. So, um, uh, And usually, though, I do not think through every word or stanza. I really try to write very freely and allow the words to flow. And I've been very fortunate that that has not been hard for me. Mm. Um, So that seems to be something that um, just happens. I mean, of course, poems don't always come in their finished form. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of editing involved, but but the flow, the joy of writing and just having it flow out of you and that focusing and concentration process is, is really uh, something that I treasure quite a, quite a lot. Well, please share another piece of your work. Okay, um, I will. So, um, so I'm going to read the, the next poem in my book, um, which is... Um, which relates to the first poem. So the first poem was a story in the New York Times that came from um, these letters being released uh, into the news from uh, families in Taiwan whose uh, family members had been executed by the, by the white terror regime uh, for being political, for speaking out politically. So uh, I spent uh, quite an effort to try to get uh, figure out how to get the copyright to put these poems in my book. And uh, one of the things that I did was I called um, Hong Kong to talk to the reporter who uh, actually wrote the article, and he's mostly a photographer for the New York Times, um, for their Asian Bureau. Yes. So, yeah, so this poem is called Crossing the Waters. And it's a for Billy Kwok, who is the, the reporter. 
The evening I called Hong Kong, it was warm for February in San Francisco. You were in the morning sun, me in the fading light. Your voice on the phone, not a message, such a surprise. You answered, I didn't know what to say, as if I were in a slot canyon on a river, in a boat, seeing in the narrows ahead, instead of on the phone. You answered your greeting so respectful, my canyon opened up, changed its geography. I wish I had thought to thank you, first of all, for your article in the New York Times, how small I felt, still, and tongue-tied. But I heard myself telling you about the poem I wrote because your words opened a channel in me. The passage from California to Taiwan, the story about letters from the dead, political prisoners executed for speaking out, given a pen and a paper to write farewells the night before their deaths, their letters buried in a drawer, a cabinet, a word-lined grave. What would it feel like to excavate such a letter, to see your father's or grandfather's handwriting 60 years later? I try to imagine none of my relatives in prison None executed by a government for thought crimes. No authorities telling them to write farewells to their families. Nothing waiting for me in a pile of papers in an office suffused with the dust of decades. And yet, there is no corner on the market of suffering I asked you who owned the letters because I needed permission to put them in my book. Messages from a graveyard of narrow rivers. Who owns them? Who owns anything? From haggard landscapes to tributaries of nourishment. Imagine the currents of words lost for so long and finding you. Does it give me hope? Does it heal me somehow? That's the end. Mm. So would you view your work as being found poetry? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Can you explain? Yes, that's where you go out. If you read something, you take it and you write it as a poem. And you research it to find out the author of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you put it in in a poetic form. I guess so then, yeah. I, I yeah. Call it, what I call it is, is poetic uh, conversation. Yes, yes, yes. I've been reading about found poetry because I'm attempting to write some myself. So I'm fascinated yeah. by your conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's yeah, take a brief well, break and we'll be right back. We'll be right back, okay. all right? All right, great. All right. Thank you.
Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Phyllis Klein. The calling number is 646-787-1631. Phyllis, poets yeah. hail from all over the world. Where do you hail from? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I spent my uh, childhood and uh, high sc- up until high school in uh, Long Island, in the suburbs, and then um, then I moved to Albany. Then I moved to Michigan to go to grad school for social work, and then I moved to California. And I've been in California for over 30 years now. Wow. How has your travels or your, 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 your life in terms of where you've lived, how has that influenced your work? Uh, well, um, I, think, uh, I think that I, um, I moved... I, I really moved because I was um I needed to uh kind of find my own my own path. And so a lot of the moves were um providing distance between where I grew up. I as you might have noticed, I kept going a little further away. <laughs> yes. Yes you did. Um, and and in the middle of all that, when I was in college I spent my junior year in Israel, so that was uh, really far away. And I think that influenced me a great deal um, to get that far away and also to be in that place that was uh, uh, very um, stimulating and exciting to me at the time and um, influenced me a great deal. Um, Well, you know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty once you look to comedians, artists, and poets, <laughs> what do you think, as you think about your work, emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? Uh, well, I think that um, it's somebody, uh, one of my mentors, Jack Riddle, told me that, um, that he thinks uh, my, my poetry has been a search for authenticity, Mm. And um, I really, I do, when he said that, it just really connected with me, this uh, quest for authenticity um, and um, I, I and honesty um, and, um, you know, speaking your truth, which um, you may not start out really even knowing what your truth is. Yes. You may not know yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that that sense of um, uh, finding yourself, and then being able to express it with uh, with clarity and directness and honesty, I, I think that's um, it's very healing. That and that's that's really where I am. Well, please share another piece of your work. Okay. Um. <clears throat> So I think maybe I'll I'll go to something that is um, uh, um, has a little more of that uh, authenticity and honesty in it. Yes. So give me a moment to find something. Oh yeah, no problem. I had everything all marked off. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
Okay, so here's one. Um, so uh, this poem, I believe this poem is honest because it's um, it it it's uh, um, it starts off with uh, something that is um, uh, actually a, a positive and kind of a happy moment, and then it ends up at a in a in a, in, in a very dark place, and. Um, and so I, I believe that uh, that's important to have the range of things that, uh, that we experience as human beings uh, mm-hmm. in, in my poetry. Um, and uh, so there's hope in my poetry. And there's also this darkness, which I think comes from trauma um, and trauma in the world. And so the, this poem is called Food Chain to, to Start On. Um, and let me just say that uh, the major Deegan is is an expressway in New York City that um, that you'll hear in this that you'll hear the name of that. So I want, wanted to explain it to you. All right. Okay. Food chain to stardom. The calf runs north on the expressway, escaping consumption in a hungry city. Taken into custody, he is dubbed Major Deegan. Moments of celebrity in the twittering human circus. A number of farm animals showing up on New York streets lately. A lamb, two goats, and now this cow child. Once rescued, they are named, live on in sanctuary, unlike their relatives not clever enough to escape the slaughter. Does my steak have a name? Two years ago, a bull escaped to your college in Jamaica, Queens, was rescued. Last year, another died on the way to sanctuary, alone at the back of the custom van, cold, broken. That's it. Mm-hmm. Cold and broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that last line, cold and broken. Mm-hmm. Well, it just wanted to be like that, you know. The, you know, in um, Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, is a Tigger who asked Pooh, "Well, why did you write that line like that?" And he said, "Well, it just wanted to, it just wanted to be that way. That's how it came out." You know, and something about this that 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 uh, that that one cow that didn't get rescued that died it just stuck with mm-hmm. me it was so sad and so alone and I know that many of us feel that way yeah, so that's, true. that's what I feel that's really honest as opposed to keeping the poem in the celebrity of all these wonderful animals that got rescued yeah, that's what brought me into the story in the first place. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And I want all those animals to be rescued. However, I also eat meat. So, you know, I'm a part of all that food chain. Yes. Um, and sometimes people don't make it and animals don't make it. And this that's a fact of our life as well. And, and um I, I need that to be on the table. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me to leave that off the table. Yes. 
Well, speaking of that, speaking of that, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Um, Well, so um, maybe I already started to answer that. Let's see. Yes. Um, uh, So I think it's, it's to express some of these really deep feelings that I have and to try to heal. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, it's, it's just so important to me. Um, and it, it kind of happened really naturally uh, without, without my having to force it. Um, just, uh, it just, it kind of what needed to happen. And for me, it was poetry. Oh, wow. It's beautifully stated. Well, please share another piece of your work. Share another piece of your work. Okay. Um, so, um, so you asked me um, for a poem that I feel really good about. Yes, um, please. And this one, this one, I think, goes into that, although um, I, I, I happen to like a lot of my poems. I, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm bragging. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That's one of my questions. Are there three pieces that you really feel as being yeah. your most? <laughs> so that's one of the questions. <laughs> yeah, you did sort of prompt me in that direction. So, um, so uh, um, this poem is um, uh, uh, it's it's another news story. So it may be what you call a found poem. Yes. Um, and. The title is A Compassionate Judge at the Veterans Court. And the epigraph is, after sentencing Sergeant Joseph Cerna on a parole violation, Judge Lou Oliveira follows him into his jail cell. And so when the judge gets into the cell with the man he has just sentenced to 24 hours in jail, The man asks for the whole day, and the judge says, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Like a father who says, he's my son, and I won't see him fall. And a son who isn't alone, locked down in the dark with his terror. Because the judge has been to war, too, and knows there are wounds that aren't visible. Because the man, two decades in the military, knows another soldier died for him in combat and lives crushed under this and not only this. And a judge can be a brother to a man who has lost his way as two oak trees in a meadow can be connected by their roots. The way a man who has lost his way can be a messenger to remind us there is so much more to know about what's on the inside because we are so ready to skate on the surface of our minds, because we can do so much more to be relatives in the fields of trees, beauty, and devastation we call home. That's, that's it. Mm, I enjoy that poem as well. Thank you. Yes, I really like the line, he's my son and I won't let him fall, won't see him fall. Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. really like that. That that touches me. Oh, thank you. It touches me. It touches mm-hmm. me. You know, writers come up with words 
as they do come up with words, but there's several words that they come up with over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I, I could probably um, – I know when I'm writing, mm-hmm. there are certain words that I think of, and I think, you know, I definitely – have used this word more than once. But now that you're asking me, my mind is a complete and total blank. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I'd have, to, I'd have to go through and look at it and see. I could tell you more about the themes, though. If that, okay. that, that okay. work? That will yeah, work, yes. I think, yeah. So I think, for me, the, the themes in my work are about uh, loss, uh, abandonment, uh, rejection, um, hurt, um, betrayal. Those are all the traumatic themes, and of course, grief. Um, and then on the side of, um, uh, you know, some of the uh, hope, uh, hopeful, more hopeful types of things. I think appreciation would be there. Definitely appreciation. Uh, when I read a story like that about the, that judge, I just feel like I want to appreciate him in a formal way by mm-hmm. kind of, you know, thinking about what he did and then how that affected me. And then from there, I can, I can deepen it into, well, what does that mean to me? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the themes and the words that I use come from books that I've read. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, quite a, um, uh, I read quite a bit of books on audio. Um, and definitely when I was commuting to San Francisco twice a week, I could read. I could read through a lot of books just on, uh, on my um, iPod. Mm-hmm. And so some of the some of the themes of you know how you choose books that matter to you or you don't really read yes. them. So I read a book that had to do with trees and how trees uh, speak to us and and hidden language of trees and that um, those themes and those words about trees have really uh, I think they've populated my poems quite a bit. For instance, okay. in that judge poem, when I talk about the roots and how, and how the roots um, of the, um, uh, it's right there. As two oak trees in a meadow can be connected by their roots. So that came to me from that book. And actually, I've written a number of poems about, about trees and connections. I have another one that I could read you right now. Yes. I love that. I love that. Okay. And let me find it. So that's also in my book. Um, and um, let's see, is it in my book? Hmm. Well, now I have to find it. Uh, let's see. Well, I may have to come back to that. Okay, not a problem. I'm not finding it right at the minute. Um, well, to me, everything that you mentioned in terms of I'm going to view it as being the yin and yang of life mm-hmm. is present in what we see out in the world today in terms of the protests, the good, bad, and indifferent of it. 
I really believe mm-hmm. that. So what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Uh, well, I think um, I think poets have a really important role to play, actually. Um, and I think as we find uh, with the pandemic and now what's happening with um, the murder of George Floyd and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the protests, I think that poet poetry and poets are coming forward um, to to be able to um, give a voice to these um, amazing things that are happening, both gut-wrenching, terrible, and beautiful, and actually even connect and braid those things together. Um, and, and, um, uh, and, And poetry can do that uh, better, I think, than any other form of um, of, uh, of of creativity. Mm. Um, it just speaks to us in so many levels. It speaks to us from uh, from our mind. It speaks to us in our body. It goes deep into your feelings and your connection with yourself and your um, and and into your soul. It just it it can go really really deep. So and I feel that. Um, this is a time that we really need poetry. We always need poetry, but mm-hmm. especially right now, it's it's um, uh, you know. And if I think we all we might all be noticing how uh, people are craving poetry, and we're all joining together to want to read it more, to want to hear it more. It's coming up more on the radio. It's coming up in the newspaper. Um, it's coming up online on social media. It's it's um, it's just everywhere. Um, well, speaking of what I'd like you to do is to share another piece of your work. Okay. Because I want your work <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I want your work everywhere. Thank you. I wish I could find that one um, about the trees, but I yeah maybe at the next break I'll look for it. Yeah. If, okay. if there's going to be yes. another break. So I'll There'll share this Okay. All right. Great. So. Um, I'll share this one. This one, this is a poem about connection um, that uh, had to do with. Um, uh, um, I went. It was. It, it was that I went to the lab to get a, my blood drawn, and um, and I had I had a conversation with the uh, the phlebotomist. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it it brought this in, this whole series of connections that um, that I, uh, I I find so amazing and interesting the synchronicity uh, that that also is another thing for me and in, in po- that poetry can do um, and and braid our lives together in a certain way so um, and if I don't use the word braid especially as a word, I'm thinking about braiding a lot when I'm writing. So this poem poem is called Phlebotomy, and it's for Jack Riddle. Um, He introduces himself just before the needle. My name is Rodell, he says, after my dead brother Rodelio. I offer my arm and the blood slips into his vials, Two needed this time. My brother died at three months, he said, 50 years ago in the Philippines, my only brother. 
I don't usually watch the red liquid from my body course into the tube. Today I want to see it fill up the ampules that will bear it to the lab. Is it thick as the blood between these Asian brothers? I asked him, was there a reason he told this? He told me this today, how he couldn't have known about you. You're also lost, brother. The poem you sent me just an hour before, your brother dead in the womb so many years ago. The brothers neither of you would ever have, both of you only sons. Rodell, 30, you passed 70. How the two of you became friends through my blood. My blood on the way to the lab, coagulated into numbers of discovery, useful information, possible hope. Your brother's hemoglobin in your bodies forever. Blood brothers, stories of possibility lost in the dirt of death. Sports never played, careers never found. No teaching how to throw a ball, how to lose your homework. How you both live on in their shade, their voices whispering about what could have been. My blood on the way to its future, all blood transfused with the ways of our losses, our passage. That's it. Wow. You became friends through blood. Mm hmm. Through my blood, right? Through your blood. Mm hmm. Yeah, your what book. a way. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, I'm just excited. Just Go saying, ahead. What a, what a way to experience getting a blood draw, right? Oh, and it's so I mean, true. You know, I hope to take that with me the next time because it, it always unsettles me to go get my blood drawn. Mm-hmm. And um, this this story, this this whole experience uh, was so touching to me. It, it really deeply connected me to both of those people, one of whom I really don't know very well at all. Yes. Well, what I'd like to know is more about your book. Oh, okay. The Moon Herald. Mm-hmm. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, <laughs> what might you tell them? Um, well, I would say that um, it has something in it for you. Um, maybe I'll try to convince you, Michael. Okay, please. please. You may have already looked at it, yeah? So, Michael, (laughs) Michael, here's why. And this is something I would never actually really do. So, you're giving me permission, you're opening up something that actually I would be too embarrassed and feel really shy to ever do this. So, (laughs) so maybe once I've done it, you can do it, right? Because I don't know if I'll ever do it again. So, okay. <laughs> so Michael, now I'm afraid. Now I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, don't be afraid. I'm going to be really nice okay. to you. Okay. <laughs> I, what I think you might, what I think you might get from my book is, um, is feeling a, a, a way, feeling um, the way that um, that your place and in, in the family of humanity. And and I say that as um, a way to think about that the news and and uh, what's happening in the world 
is, is, is something that may feel very foreign to us. Uh, I know it certainly does to me if I read a news story, especially if it upsets me. I, I, I feel powerless. I feel helpless. Sometimes I feel really good about it if it's a, if it's a really heartwarming story. Or I might feel really sad, um, mm-hmm. but I don't. Um, but I don't necessarily feel that connected to it, or feel like I can do something about it uh, to to express my own point of view, or feel like I matter. So, I think maybe reading my book might give you a sense, Michael, that you matter, um, because uh, maybe it's going to help you think about the the news that you've read or the news of your life or the news of, um, of people, you know, um, or the news about feelings that you have that then you might become more connected to. And maybe that will give you a, a sense of empowerment or hope, or maybe even a connection to a feeling that you didn't realize you had. Wow. So that, that's what I might say. That's amazing. How <laughs> can you connect to the book? <laughs> well, and, I want and you know, to purchase it because they may find the same connection. <laughs> well, it might, you know, it might, it might make yes. you angry. It might mm-hmm. make you also. It might hurt. Um, and I think that's really a part of life: is that um, things hurt, and and if we don't name them, and if we don't speak to them and, and look at them directly in the eye, um, it, it, fe- it can fester. So yes. that's another reason to, to try to understand, you know, maybe there's a way of um, approaching these things. If, if you could write about it or read somebody else's uh, writing about it, read, read what somebody else thinks about it, maybe, uh, you know, maybe that's going to, it gives you a little more of a sense of um, what what can be done, what can be done with the pain. Because mm-hmm. especially now, there's so much grieving that we all have to do. And yes. it's only just beginning. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it will happen more, I think, when the pandemic is over, if it ever gets over. But that's when... Mm-hmm the grieving is going to hit us even harder. So yes. we need to know how to, how to manage some of these feelings. Mm. That's what I think. Well, it's beautifully stated. Let's take a brief mm. break and we'll be right back.
truly a pleasure for me to to, to interview you. Oh, You're, thank you. It really, really is. Would you share well, another thank piece you of your book? So books? much. Yeah, yes. you know, I'm still looking for that poem. I'm going to look for another minute. Um, okay. And then if I can't find it, I will. Um, well, of course I'm going to invite you back. I'm going to invite you back so you can recite it the <laughs> oh. next time you're on the air. <laughs> oh, well, that takes all the pressure off. Well, great. That 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 is just so beautiful. Thank you. will be back. You. <laughs> ah, here it is. I just found it. I just oh, found wow. It. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so now let me just preface again by saying that this poem came from the book about um, about trees. Um, it's I think it's called the secret life. the secret life of trees, and I might even be able to get you Peter the author, Volleben. Peter Volleben. I think he's, okay. is he Dutch, German. Dutch or German? Yeah. Um, and uh, so you know he has these amazing ideas about trees. The trees talk to each other uh, through their roots, um, that they have all kinds of uh, systems and community. They warn each other uh, from of danger by sending out like a, a substance that um, uh, um, is taste bad uh, so that if somebody is attacking, if an animal is attacking them or eating their leaves, Oh, okay. It is in my book. Okay. I just couldn't find it. It's in the book review section. What do you know? (laughs) Okay. So it's called Life in the Slow Lane. After reading Peter Wolbein, The Hidden Life of Trees. Hold me in your branches and I will speak to you through our roots, intertwined in our bed, our bedroom of orchids, our kitchen window redwood, our rooms connected like living telephone wires, our bodies, our pheromones, singing arias, the microbes who call us home, riding on our backs into the jungle of our city. Let us be silent like the trees, endure pain with dignity, leafy or bare, dressed or naked. Be patient for the ecstasy of life, Patient for the ice, the wind, patient for warmth. Let us give space the way trees grow their branches so light reaches every leaf of every tree. Welcome cats, birds, monkeys, and snakes. Welcome. And let us endure leaf-eating pests and mammals, mold, rot, drought, and flood. Let us make seeds and cones to fly on winds of longing, seeds to fly into us as we hold each other, as we speak through our roots, the soft, damp sky filled with birds calling. That's the end. I can see why you are interested in my poem. I can see the tops of trees. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, wow. so there we go. There's some synchronicity there, yeah. Yeah, there, a lot mm-hmm. of synchronicity. A lot of synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Oh, Phyllis. Michael. What do, you, <laughs> what do you want your poetry to do? Where do you want it to go? Oh, I'm I'm just really hoping that um, 
people will get something out of reading it. You know, okay. that that's the most important thing to me. Um, I, I and I, I if if it helps somebody, that would be really so valuable to me. Um, and uh, of course, um, you know, I I um, I, w- I want. Um, you know, I want I want people to uh, um, find a way to connect with it and maybe write some poetry of their own that that would come from reading my poetry. That would be the greatest gift of all. That's beautiful. Hmm. Share one more, please. We're we're almost out of time, but please share one more. Oh, that went so fast. Okay. Um, <laughs> So let's see. Uh, what's a good one to end on? Um, uh, I'm thinking of ending on something that's really um, that's that's hopeful. And mm-hmm. um, this poem uh, also came from a newspaper article, um, and um, had to do with uh, um, homeless people. Um, so uh, the poem is called Holding a Place for Human Kindness to Go Strangers until the homeless man moves into the rancher's apartment the one he decided to build on his land generous with California oak woodlands with coastal sage scrubs the rancher wonders Why doesn't everyone do this? He doesn't realize it is greatness to see potential when everyone else sees menace, those immigrants invading like Mediterranean grasses, Spanish broom, yellow star thistle. Weed them out, those seekers, or the downtrodden, downthrusted, the ones bereft of four walls invading the city, choking out the libraries, the beaches. And the homeless man who has a roof now doesn't realize his life is a poem when he says, living on the streets takes your dignity away. How his life was on the edge of selling, so much like a weed in a garden he could pluck out himself. And now he lives in a new home on a ranch near a person who takes a risk, digs a foundation, offers the horses, the owl, the owls, the steelheads, also endangered. That's it. Wow. You know, I'm sure when people hear your work, I'm sure they want more. What's next for you as a poet? Uh, well, you know, I really would like to spend some time enjoying this accomplishment. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Before I try to write another book. I mean, so uh, a lot of people are asking me about the next book. And, yes. um, you know, I, I really want to keep writing. So the main thing for me is to, is to find, uh, is to keep finding new ways to, uh, to express myself and maybe new uh, themes and pathways that will mm-hmm. open up. Um, mm-hmm. And to that end, I'm constantly taking classes, studying, learning, reading. So I guess the idea, what I want is to keep going, you know. Yes. 
for as very as long as I can. That's that would be um, such a gift to me. I, you know, I've discovered my book is um, coming out. You know, I'm in my 70s now, and um, my early 70s, I should say. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, my, my book is coming out at a time in my life where, um, you know, a lot of things are slowing down um, just physically, although I'm doing fine. But, um, you know, I would like my writing to keep accelerating. It, it's just such a gift to me. I, I just, um, it, it's, it's just uh, the most amazing uh, thing that I can be doing for myself. It's, you know, I should share with you that you're already on my list of all-time favorite guests. Oh, my and... goodness. <laughs> oh, I hope you didn't say that to everyone. <laughs> no, actually, you're the very first person I've ever said it to. So, <laughs> so thank you so much. You are such a gift. I, I really mean this so truly that what you're doing, it's such a gift to us as poets, you know, because um, sometimes it feels like um, – uh, it's hard to find people, uh, especially in the publishing world, uh, you know, who who really uh, want to listen or care. You know, mm-hmm. um, that can be that can sometimes feel rather discouraging, to say the least. Well, is there any advice? And as we'll conclude on this question, any advice that you would give aspiring poets? Uh, um, find a group. Uh, to read to, um, uh, um, know that what you're writing is, is really terrific and, um, and that wherever you are, even if you don't think your writing is very valuable, um, that is so not the truth. I mean, um, so, so the idea that um, with a little bit of exposure, with a little bit of connecting with other people, you might be able to uh, to take your poetry to a whole new level that that would really surprise you, um, mm. and that you have a voice that is so special and so important, um, and um, and sometimes it just feels really hard to open it up and and speak about it. Yeah, um, I and just yeah, as a metaphor for that, I'll just say that. Um, I was feeling really discouraged about my ability to speak um, because I've had a lot of hoarseness in my voice. Yes. And um, today, so just along those lines, I met a, a, a voice coach. She's actually a singing coach. Um, and do you remember her last name? Mahoney. Uh, Molly. Mahoney. Molly Mahoney. She's she's a San Francisco uh, based or San Francisco Bay Area opera singer, and um, and within an hour, she took my voice from something really that was just so depressing to me to a place where I could open it up, and it just completely shocked me. Now I don't know how I'm sounding tonight. Clear and as a of bell. course, I, I really bell. have. A, thank you. I have a long way to go to improve, but um, but that was so astonishing to me that that could happen in that mm-hmm. amount of time. And I think that is really true for so many people. Um, but we we tend to feel isolated and alone. Yes. Uh, and yes. so that that's the message that I would like to leave leave everybody with. 
Well, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart thank for you. being on my show. I'd like to invite you to come back where we can spend more time focused on your book, where you have more of an opportunity to read more poems from your book. Well, I won't uh, refuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, I say good night to you. I say good night to our listening audience. Until next week, take care. Thank you again. All right. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.